0: Welcome to Element. If you are new, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. Uh, You'll get a picture of the ginger prophet on this side. On the back side, you'll get verses that we're going through. On the bottom, you get a couple questions to reflect on what we're talking about today. Uh, If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? And this is Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And it says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Let's pray. Father, today we ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who tread on those high places that you have led us to, and many times that is through difficulty and frustration and, and anger and disappointment with things that happen in our lives, the world around us, but you take us to places that are the heights when we trust you, so teach us to walk in those places, to trust you where we are and to glorify you in all things. Amen. MC. a seat. All right, so we are today finishing a sermon series that we started all the way back at the beginning of the summer called The Miners. The Miners covered the last 12 books of the Old Testament known as the Minor Prophets. We did not go in a linear order with them, and many of you hadn't even heard of some of these people when we started to go through this. Uh, the Minor Prophets are not called minor, like I say, because they're JV and the other prophets are varsity, like they're the AAA ball and not you know the, the full big show, like they're the Portland Sea Dog, not the Boston Red Sox. So but what it is is their books are actually shorter than the other books of the major prophets of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, things like that. Now next week, just to give you a heads up, when our new service times start and it's not that we'll never go back to our old service times. when people start coming again, they feel comfortable, we will probably eventually go back to our old ones, but 9 10:45. New sermon series next week's going to take us into Christmas and it's called the Songs of Ascent. Uh, the Songs of Ascent are Psalm 130 to or Psalm 120 to 134. And there are a series of songs that the pilgrims would sing as they went up to the feast in Jerusalem in Israel. And so they were heading up to this place of worship. And they all kind of center themselves on the ideas of discipleship, step by step by step as you go up into the city. So we're going to look at that as we step into our great celebration of Christmas. All right, right, three late Christmas, the rest of you Scrooges, whatever. All right, so we're gonna look at this because it, I think it'll really help us to learn certain things today, how each step of trusting God really leads us to this new place. But today, we are gonna finish the minors, and we are gonna finish finally with this book of Habakkuk. On the, if you have sermon notes that you grab off the, the tables, it says 12.6, because this is the sixth week in Habakkuk. All the other ones, we only spent one week in. Habakkuk, we are spending six weeks in. And to give you a heads up, there's a lot of review today and things we're gonna be talking about as we move towards the end. Uh, Some of you have said you really like this book, you want it to keep going. I don't know what else I would say for for the book, but uh, I I really wanna stick my landing. I don't wanna Charlie Brown this, but if your expectations are here, just lower them a little bit, okay? Because I don't know how this is gonna go. Uh, So Habakkuk is a book that really teaches us how to trust God in the midst of things we don't understand. It has changed and set a lot of people's theology throughout the course of the church from the Apostle Paul all the way to Martin Luther and there's really the significant refrain that happens in the book in Habakkuk 2.4 that says the righteous will live by faith. This goes all the way back to the understanding of Abraham when Abraham trusts God and it's credited him to righteousness and God keeps bringing this idea back that we don't find our righteousness in ourselves or right relationship with God in ourselves we find it in what Christ has done. Our righteousness is something given to us by faith in God and when we get to this idea in the book of Galatians in the New Testament Paul is making this treatise and moving forward with the idea of why this is true in Galatians 2.16 out of the NIV he will say we know that a man is not justified by observing the law but by faith in Jesus Christ so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law no one will be justified and he moves this forward into Galatians 3.11 where he says clearly no one is justified by the law but the righteous will live by faith by trusting what god has done now today in our culture today we live under this myth that if i just give it my best shot if i follow the moral law then i'm going to be okay good people go to heaven bad people go to hell it's that sort of thing but do you know if you and your life live by trying to follow the law i think only one of three things can happen number one you will do better than other people and you'll be very moral and you'll be very proud because you look at all the other losers who don't live as moral as you and think there's something wrong with all of them what we need to understand is our morality is not compared to other people our morality is compared to god and his perfection really moral people tend to only trust in themselves and judge other people around them we have our own little kingdom and no one is good enough for our kingdom many times not even jesus himself and if you are able to live a moral life on your own you will most likely commit the worst sin of all which is arrogant self-righteous pride and you'll be further from god as jesus says than the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the drunks and the addicts and the losers the second thing that could happen is you're going to be sorely depressed because you will get very frustrated you're just going to start to see god as this mean and distant landlord who has this whole set of rules that you will never live up to and so god is just never pleased and you walk around depressed all of the time because you can just never live up but you keep on trying Or third thing is you'll walk away from a faith you never really even really knew and then try to come back and then leave and come back in this whole cycle of guilt and shame. As a matter of fact, a couple weeks ago, I was listening to this podcast and there's a guy on this podcast they were talking to named Joshua Harris. And Joshua Harris years ago wrote this book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. It was part of this whole movement called the Purity Movement. And it was a, a huge bestseller at a very young age. He becomes pastor of a church and Joshua Harris has now walked away from Christianity. And as they go through this interview, it's interesting. He didn't see it this way, but as you hear his answers to how they're talking to him, and one of the interviewers actually tries to bring the gospel back into his life. It's kind of interesting. But Joshua Harris and his answers, you hear him go through each of these three phases. He starts off arrogant and proud, telling everybody else how they don't know as much as he does. He's very arrogant. But then it came out of his own personal morality, and he started to the place where he felt like he just never measured up to what God wanted. He was never moral enough. He was never good enough. And eventually he walks away from christianity so he actually does all three of these things and this is why i think in the scriptures god constantly brings us back to the idea that the righteous live by faith it's not in what we do it is what christ has done the author of the book of hebrews tells us i think based out of ideas in habakkuk that we look to jesus hebrews 12 2 he is the the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of god all of our personal failures, all the places where we think we don't measure up is not meant to lead us to despair. It's meant to lead us to looking at Jesus for our salvation and our hope. And looking to Jesus doesn't mean bad things can't come into your life. I mean, look what's happening with the Babylonians going into Habakkuk's people in that day. And I would think sometimes based upon our choices and the choices of others, bad things are just gonna come into our lives. But we must first trust Jesus in the midst of all those things, the frustration, the anger, the depression, or we will become one, two, or three, or like Joshua Harris, all three of those. So open your Bibles to at chapter 1. Page 509, if you have an element Bible. And yes, we are finishing chapter 3, but I need to start here to get to where we're going because I got a lot of review. Uh, so Habakkuk comes to this place. He starts arguing with God and telling God, Do you not see what's wrong in my culture? All these laws that are being passed, all these things people are doing. Won't you do something about it? Don't you care? And God says, Yes, I see it and I care. I'm going to take the Babylonians, I'm going to run them through Judah. They're going to wipe people out, and those that don't get wiped out, they're going to be hauled off into captivity. And so Habakkuk responds with, God, that's a terrible plan. Why would you do something like that? In Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. It's like, you're not really going to do this, are you? O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. And this is like an accusation. God, can't you see what you are doing in this? We're supposed to be your people. We're the ones who are called your people in the world. Why would you do that? Bad things can't happen to us. And Christians today, we start to feel like that. We think God's never going to discipline us for our sin or the things that we do in our lives. And this leads to two principles I think are very important that come out of this book. The first one is this, is that yes, God forgives our sins. God loves us. But many times God does not remove the consequences of our sins. Why? Because God loves us. That's why. This means you can't rack up credit card debt and call your credit card company and go, oh, hey, I just became a Christian. I'm now debt free. God forgave my sins. I don't have to pay you. It doesn't mean you can murder somebody and go to jail and be like, oh, I became a Christian. Jesus paid my debt. Let me go free. That's not what that looks like. God had ordained judgment by the hand of the Babylonians, and they're going to come in no matter what because God is doing a work. Now, who is technically worse in their conduct at this point? Well, the Babylonians are most likely worse in their conduct. And so he says, how can you use those guys to come and discipline us? This would be like if God showed up to your house and said, I'm going to grow you up. You lack self-control. Here's Donald Trump. He's going to to teach you how to stop tweeting all right or uh, you you swear way too much so here's Chris Rock and Eddie Murphy they're going to help you with that you don't know how to handle your money and, and you're very selfish here's the Kardashians to help you with that oh oh you, you lack chastity well here's Wilt Chamberlain and the guys from Motley Crue they're going to they're help you with that you would say how can those guys teach me anything they're worse than me and what God is saying, I know all people, I know all hearts, I know all sin, I will take care of them as well. My purpose is to grow you up. And so where God does forgive our sins, he doesn't always remove the consequences of them. It's so leads to principle number two, which is this, God expects more of his people than others. And I almost asked that as a question, like, does God expect more of his people than others? But I didn't know the response I'd get. So well, let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, we are a people who are called to be God's ambassadors to the world. You go all the way back again to Abraham. God says, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a blessing to the world. We as God's people are meant to be blessings to the world because we have first been blessed. God expects us to be a blessing. Does it mean he loves us any less when we fall on our face and aren't a blessing? No. But he wants us to be those blessings to the world around us. We are called to be his royal priesthood in the world. And so when we receive blessings like love and grace and hope and life and relationship, we are meant to share that with other people. We don't compare ourselves to others. we're always comparing ourselves with Jesus first, understanding our salvation and our rightness comes from Him. And so Habakkuk is a book that teaches us faith and trust in God in all circumstances no matter who's in office no matter who your boss is no matter what that fight with your spouse was about and Habakkuk is struggling in the midst of all of these things to trust that God is good that God truly is in control that has a plan for all people that he will ultimately deal with all sin and so he brings all his questions to God and when he does he speaks God answers he speaks again he gets quiet and he listens to God's answer again and God says I'm going to work through crooked people in crooked days to bring about some my name goes into all of the earth and so Habakkuk then will come to chapter 3 after this back and forth with God and he reminds himself of God's saving work that God has done in the world for his people over and over again and if you forgot uh, chapter 3 is like a song that is composed where Habakkuk is remembering all that God has done because most of the time we remember better in song like if I went we will we will Okay, great. Some of you don't have rhythm, but th- that's, that's great. Or how about this? I can't get no. Dun, 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 dun. See? You learn better in song. I'd probably sing you a worship song and be like, what's this? But anyway, you learn better in song. So Habakkuk... He gets to chapter 3, and he starts to end this whole thing, this remembrance, and his song with these words. He says, to the choir master with stringed instruments. And it's literally translated in the Hebrew as my stringed instruments, meaning it's his composition and his song. So in the midst of all that he didn't understand going on with this culture and the Babylonians and all this destruction that's coming and the spirit is doubt and anger, what he does is he reminds himself of God's goodness and God's rescue, and that resets him. Habakkuk 3, verse 13, he says, you went out for the salvation, of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. He reminds himself, no matter what happens, God will rescue and save his people. And eventually, 600 years later, this leads to Jesus who comes and forgives us for our sin. What God is doing is he's reminding Habakkuk who he is, and Habakkuk responds in worship. So he meditates on God's faithfulness. And meditation is not emptying your mind like it is in Eastern meditation. What meditation is for a believer is we fill our minds with scripture and prayer prayer and thinking about who God is as we remember what God has done. It's like we're hot water and the scriptures and prayer is is the is tea that sits in our hot water. And the longer it sits in us, the more infused we are with the flavor of who God is. That's Christian meditation. We think about what God has done. And so it goes into all of us. And so Habakkuk waits on God as he remembers, as he infused, infused with who God is. And he has this reaction. Verse 16, I hear my body trembles, my. Quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. It's God. I want to see you show up. I want to see what you are going to do, and I will trust you in the midst of it. I'm excited. I'm awestruck. I'm fearful. I'm terrified all at the same time, but I will wait for you because you know what you are doing, and you have showed that time and time and time again. And so the end of chapter three is I'm going to wait your coming. So at the end of the book, Habakkuk has resolved that when God visits his people, it is not always going to be pretty uh, their sin will be exposed justice will be handed out and he is longing for it and fearful of it both at the same time he finds himself anxious he says I am near fainting and, and I'm shaking and he knows that no matter what he says no matter what he feels or does God's still going to permit the Babylonian army to come and this is not some random chastisement it is literal God's of chastisement towards his people and in understanding that, Habakkuk writes some of the most stunning promises of enduring faith in God recorded in all of the scriptures. And this is what he says, Habakkuk 317 to 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Now, this is a process that got Habakkuk to this place. He gets alone. He listens. He prays. He listens. He prays. He listens. And it develops trust in who God is. Under circumstances, he never probably thought he could trust God in the midst of. Yet I'll rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And you have to ask, for what? Because what he just said is, everything is now gone. What that is telling you, he's not rejoicing in the day he's having. That's not what this is. If you're a farmer and you know animals and crops and figs and grapes, well, that's not good. You're going to starve to death. And see, it's easy for us, I think, to praise God when things are good. When you get that raise, when you and your spouse get along, when you're cancer-free, when you have the figs and the nuts and the dates and all that in your barn, when your candidate gets elected. But what about when things aren't good, when your candidate doesn't get elected and you and your spouse don't get along? You get a diagnosis that you don't want. When you get fired from your job, when you don't have animals and crops and figs in the barn what do we do in those moments how do we worship God when things are like that when we don't understand and we're frustrated when we're crying out to God what do we do there well two things we praise God for who he is and not just what he's done but praising God for who he is comes out of knowing what he has done and secondly we praise God for what he does and not just what he has done though knowing what God does comes out of knowing what he has done you following sounds like a Dr. Seuss riddle. I know, I get it. Habakkuk says, even if God never shows up again, I have enough to worship all of my days because of what he's done. And this is the opposite of us in America today because we live for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's let the good times roll. But God's goal for us as a people is to be close To Him. Salvation is about us as a people. It's not about our stuff. God's goal is not our success because if God's goal was our success, then whenever we weren't successful, we couldn't be close to Him. But God's goal is for us to be close to Him in all circumstances. This is why I think a lot of times when you see people in the most desperate straits in the world, it tends to push them closer to God and not further away. And Habakkuk says, If all my successes go away, if all my security goes away, I will trust. In you, because I know there's no other place I can go. And as believers in Jesus, we know that God sends his son to die for us while we were still in our sin. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were running away from God, Christ came and died for us. And Jesus is enough to take joy in forever. And so he says, verse 19: God the Lord is my strength, he makes my feet like the deers, he makes me tread on my high places. Uh, the NIV has, I think, even the better idea behind this because it says, The sovereign Lord is my strength. That is, the sovereign Lord is sovereign over all of history without fail. We make choices, God's in control. And Habakkuk shows us how to handle those evil times with whether they're society wide or just in our own lives. The description at the end where it says, there's no figs and no grapes and no olives and no fields producing food and no sheep and no cattle. That is an extinction level starvation, society wide event. And that's what the Babylonians are going to bring. And Habakkuk sees it. And at the very end of the book, comes to a place where he says I'm going to face it patiently with poise and confidence in who you are because that is the only way we will walk through all these things that frustrate us and that we don't like with poise and confidence and sustained joy is by focusing on who God is in the midst of all of it and that is so different than how we tend to respond today. In 1851, there's an English missionary, his name was Alan Gardner, and he's on this expedition and it's off the southern tip of South America, and they end up crashing on this little island. Everybody on this expedition dies. Alan Gardner is the last one to die, and he keeps a journal. When they finally find all the people in this expedition, they find his journal next to him, and they begin to read it. And one of the last entries in his journal, he cites Psalm 34, verse 10, young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not lack anything good. And he sees the very last thing that he writes in this journal is essentially, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Here's the guy, dying of starvation, far from home, broken body, uh, all his hopes are dashed, and yet his last words are, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. That is so much different than our world today. Well, a lot of times we only want to worship and thank God when our fig trees are blossoming, so to speak. I don't like figs, but you know what I mean. This, this guy and Habakkuk both find a way to trust God in the midst of what they are going through, apart from the circumstances around them. They knew the goodness and love of God in spite of life's circumstances, and as a result, they face death. They face destruction. They face all the things that frustrate them in their lives with grace. Uh, this year, I, I finished another book by Tim Keller, I know, shocker, and it's all about suffering. And he actually asked three questions in the course of this book. And the first question he asked is this, what is rejoicing in suffering? And if you look at the book of Habakkuk, what he talks about is it's walking sure-footedly on the mountaintops. That's what it is, that's the metaphor he uses. In ancient times, the safest place for you to be was on the mountaintops. I mean, when when I say safe, I mean safe from enemies, not safe from winds and buffeting and storms and things like that, but it was the safest place to be when enemies were coming to attack you because you could see everything. Now, to get to the mountaintop, it was very difficult. You could slip and fall and hurt yourself. But here, when you get to the mountaintop, you can see hours and days in any direction. And what Habakkuk is saying is trusting in God brings a sure-footedness to our lives. Now, getting up to those places usually happens through failures and disappointments and frustrations and defeat and hard times, but God intends all of those things to push us to the heights where we live on these places with him because the sovereign Lord is our strength. We, I think every single one of us have gone through hard times or seen other people go through hard times and hard times will either make people softer towards others than God, are harder towards others and God. It makes some people more empathetic and compassionate. Other people, they get more cynical and they get more bitter. Some people become more humble. Other people become more arrogant. Uh, Some people get very sweet and, and humble in the midst of it. And some people just in the end get very sour. And I think a lot of times it depends on where our focus is in the midst of these things. Are we focusing upon ourselves? Nobody understands. God doesn't care. Look how horrible this is. And we just totally focus on ourselves. Or do we focus on what God is going to do in the midst of it? Do we focus on what God can do? And so we have to ask, what have the hard times in our lives, maybe the frustration of the culture around us, what, it, what has it made you more like in your life? Are you someone who has, who has grown deeper into the gospel and wants to share God's hope and grace with the world? Are you someone who has just become frustrated and myopic and talk about all the ways that the world just irritates you? Where has it pushed you in your life? Because suffering is either going to destroy us spiritually, emotionally, or it will move us to the heights. The English Standard Version has a great translation that says, he makes me tread on my high places. That's the idea that God moves us in heights of character when we trust him in the midst of these hard times. So the first thing is, what is rejoicing and suffering? Well, it's moving to the heights, focusing on who God is. The second question he says is, when does rejoicing and suffering happen? When does it happen? It happens concurrently with the sorrow and the grief and all that frustration. Rejoicing in God doesn't come after the sorrow. It happens in the midst and during that sorrow. In verse 16, he says, I hear my body trembles, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble. Some translations will say my heart pounded. The literal Hebrew rendering there is my bowels trembled. And when you hear that, I know we think, oh, he got the runs. That's not what that is. What it is, is his entire body is trembling. His legs are shaking. He's like, I can't stand on my own feet because there's so much sorrow and grief. And yet he then says, I will wait patiently for what God is going to do. Waiting patiently and quietly is the word that means deep repose. It means deep peace. Habakkuk is filled with sorrow. He's frustrated. He's weeping where he can't stand, but he says, I'm going to still have peace in the midst of this because I know that God is my sovereign Lord. In the midst of all the freak out, that's where he ends up. Now, earlier this year, we went through the book of Job. In the book of Job, you see all this calamity come into Job's life. And he tears his garments. He stumbles around. He falls on the ground. He cries out to God. And in chapter 1, verse 22, it says, And all this Job did not sin with his lips. And so I'm not saying you either have to be happy in the Lord or filled with grief and sorrow. What I am saying is when we walk with God through grief and sorrow, it can enhance our joy as we know that we are in God's more than capable hands. One writer says about sorrow and grief and frustration, he says, when it gets colder outside, it kicks the furnace higher. These things can actually push us and draw us where we realize a grace and a strength from God that we never knew before. See, we don't need to be afraid of grief. We don't need to be afraid of the frustration because all those things can lead us to places we've never been. Not that we want grief and frustration, but it doesn't have to be what we fear. In Isaiah 53, three, we are told that Jesus was a man of sorrows. He is perfect and yet he, he wept and he had sorrow. Another commentator says the joy of the Lord happens inside the sorrow just like it does for Jesus. Jesus endures the, the cross for the joy set before him in the midst of the sorrow. It doesn't replace the sorrow. It doesn't only come after the sorrow in the morning. The weeping, the frustration drives us to the place of joy and that joy enables us to walk through those hard places without the frustration and the grief sinking us. Which goes the third thing is this. So how is rejoicing and suffering done then? If it happens in the middle of it, and we look to God in the middle of it, well, how is it, how is it then done? And this goes back to what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about these ideas of remembering like Habakkuk does of who God is where it becomes this discipline in our lives, not this stoic thing that we force ourselves to do, but a natural part of how we respond to everything. When evil times come, we start thinking about the goodness of who God is and what he has done. We naturally begin to do it. So last week we talked about remembering leading to rejoicing, but Habakkuk also does another thing that leads there and all these things go together, and that is repeating. It's repeating, remembering, rejoicing. He repeats to himself. Verse 18, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in the God of my salvation. He doubles it when he speaks about this. And it's not that Habakkuk is a terrible editor and just repeats himself like a bad preacher. You know, he, he redoubles it for a reason. Uh, William Strunk years ago wrote this book called Elements of Style. It was famous in the time. You've probably never heard of it. But in it, he writes this, omit needless words, omit needless words. It's funny it's meant to be funny and you're like what yeah he, he says it twice good editors say you don't have to repeat yourself but you have to understand something about the bible the bible never says anything once it is constantly repeating itself for us you go to the gospel accounts we got four gospel accounts why a lot of them say kind of the same things it repeats it for us so it goes deeper and deeper into us you look in the book of exodus god comes and warns sparrow with two separate dreams you go to the book of genesis god reveals some future things to a guy named joseph with Two separate dreams. God talks to Abraham and gives this promise over and then repeats it and then repeats it and repeats it and repeats it to his son, Isaac, repeats it to his son, Jacob. He repeats it and repeats it and repeats it. You get to Jesus. And when Jesus does miracles in the New Testament, he typically repeats them in different places in different ways. One place he'll feed like 4,000 people, then he'll feed 5,000 people somewhere else. And some people say, oh, oh, that's a contradiction. That's the same uh, miracle in two different places. No, it's not. It's repeating, it's repeating so we know. The Bible repeats for us so we would remember what God is doing. And that repeating leads to remembering, which leads to rejoicing. Michael Wilcox is an old British Bible commentator and he quotes Psalm 62:11. and it says, once God has spoken, but twice I have heard it. And so this is what he says, based on this verse. God teaches us by this method of repetition through the scripture with good reason. The human mind is incurably centrifugal, forever flying off in a tangent. Bing, 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 bing. Did you read the news? Did you look at that tweet? Did you watch it? We're always doing that. And he says, it must be brought back to the great central truths of the gospel over and over. Our minds must be made literally to concentrate, to concentrate, to concentrate. He repeats himself to concentrate. You go and you buy orange juice from concentrate. You're gonna get in this tiny little tube, you put a entire gallon of water with it and then it will taste like orange juice because it's so concentrated this is what we want the gospel and the scriptures to do in our lives be so concentrated that what comes out of us comes out of that concentrated idea and understanding of the gospel jesus on the cross in complete agony what does he do he starts to quote scripture because it had been so concentrated in him in his humanity it is why we are called to be a people who repeat and remember so it leads to rejoicing It is why at Element, when we talk about the scriptures, we go through usually books of the Bible, And we'll go through minor prophets you've never heard of, and spend six weeks in a tiny little Old Testament book called back. that's only three chapters long, and we talk about it, and we talk about it, and we talk about it, and then after a message, we'll have songs that reflect on what we talk about in the message. We invite you guys to pray with one another. Why? So you'd reflect on what we talk about in the gospel. We give you sermon notes with questions on the bottom. Why? So you'd remember and repeat what we talk about during the week, and every time we get together, we talk about Jesus and people say what is the deal with element they keep talking about Jesus because that's all we got (sighs) okay so what do we do when the world looks like it's melting down when we are frustrated when we're angry what do we do we repeat we remember which leads to rejoicing because we understand what God has done for us and every time it goes a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. No matter what happens in our culture, God will bring good things out of it. Ephesians 1, 9, and 10, and he made known, to, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached the fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Everything comes back to being under Jesus Christ. Everything. And that's why we speak and repeat the gospel. And if we get our strength from a movement, somebody getting into power and political office from ourselves, at some point we're going to grow weary and we will lose heart. But we repeat and remember what God has done. We are always refreshed. He makes our feet like the deer so we can go on the heights. You ever driven somewhere, looked up on a mountain, seen some animal, some deer, or goat up on top, and you're like, how in the world did that thing get up there? Yeah, that's what God does with us. He makes our feet like that. So we go on the heights with him. But usually that happens through mourning, some injustice, uh, hard circumstances, the frustrations we see that that we can't see the beginning from the end of. And God makes our feet like a deer and we climb. Where does Habakkuk end up? Repeating, remembering, rejoicing because faith and trust in God sees the strong hand of God and not just the circumstances of life. This is why Habakkuk worships this God. This is why it is about his righteousness given to us and not our righteousness of how we're trying to make everything in the world look like us. What do we repeat for ourselves? What do we remember? What do we remind ourselves of in the world? And this is a good question for us because a lot of times we are repeating the wrong things to ourselves over and over. We are telling ourselves in our heads things that aren't true and concentrating the wrong things deep in our hearts. When in the end, we need to be a people who repeat the gospel and the remembrance of what Christ did to rescue and save us. And this is one of the reasons that, Element, every week we take you guys to this place of communion. Communion is meant for us to be, yes, a reminder of what Christ has done, but it's also how we repeat to ourselves The understanding of what he did jesus comes and lives the life that we can never live he gives his righteousness to us as a gift he takes our sin upon himself he dies the death we deserve to die he gives us his life And as we repeat this, we take communion. That's why you break the cracker like Christ's body was broken. You drink the grape juice. And it's that repeating that his body was broken for me, his blood was shed, that leads us to the place of remembrance, that leads us to the place where we can actually walk in joy in the things in the world we don't understand and we don't like. That God is still sovereign and God is still good. And one of the worst moments in human history where Jesus dies on the cross ultimately becomes the greatest moment of God's glory and our salvation. And we repeat and we remember Many times the things we repeat to one another are not the gospel. And we need to be a people who begin to repeat the gospel. If you need prayer this morning, uh, talk to Sarah at the Welcome Center. She'll connect you with one of us. And if you are someone who is just so caught up in the things you repeat yourselves and the narratives of, because there's a lot of narratives out there today. Some of them are true, some of them are not. Some of them we don't even know what to believe about them. And a lot of times we'll repeat to ourselves the narratives and stew in the middle of them. And instead of steeping in God's word and scripture as it goes into us like good strong tea, we steep in all these other things and they make us no longer a people who live in the grace of the gospel. So we need to remember and repeat to ourselves the good news of what Christ has done. Not like a mantra, but like a remembrance of this is who God is, this is what he's done. So I will now live this out in the world because of his grace and because of his hope. That's what we repeat and what we remember. Uh, We are people who give because God gave so much to us, so giving is part of our worship. We do not pass the plate. Uh, Giving is a response to what God has done, so we have offering boxes around the wall. You can give online, but it's always a response to what God has done, and I would encourage you to grab those sermon notes. There's three simple questions at the bottom of it, and it will be a way for you to help one another repeat what we talk about during the book of Habakkuk, to remind ourselves of God's goodness and God's grace. Because no matter what goes on in the society and our culture around us, God is still sovereign and he will bring about what he will ultimately bring about. We may not like it in the midst of it, but God will ultimately be glorified and he will bring goodness to his people because that's what he does. And so we we'll repeat and remember and come to the place where we rejoice. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would take us and teach us to remember and, and rejoice in what you are doing God, in the midst of the crazy world that we are, we are baptizing some people today, which is astounding that we are gathering to worship you as a people when it seems so much of our culture wants us to push us exactly away from that. And so I ask that we would take great joy in what you are doing, even when we don't see all that you're doing. In the midst of our frustration, in the midst of our hard places, we would come back to the places where we repeat the good news of the gospel, that we will take joy in the Lord, we'll take joy in the God of our salvation, because our salvation is not based upon us or our morality or what we've done. It is based upon what you did for us. And as we repeat, and as we remember, as that you would teach us to go out and be your people in the world, that we would understand that when we have been given mercy and blessing and grace and love and life, that we would go out and give that to those around us in practical and real ways, that your name would be lifted up, that would cover the world as the waters cover the seas, that you would be made known because of your great rescue and salvation and goodness and life and hope and glory and majesty and that we would be those who live in it, repeating, remembering, rejoicing in who you are. And we ask these things in your son's name, amen. Uh, We're gonna bring down the lights a bit. We're gonna drop the blinds a little bit so it gives you a moment or two to kind of get away just some of the distractions that are around you and start asking yourself the questions What am I repeating to myself? What things do I keep telling myself, whether it's true or not? What what lies do you tell? What truths do you tell yourself? And ask God to reinforce the truths, but also begin to expose the lies. So that we'd be a people who are consumed with His grace and His goodness. And then as we Worship God, we would step back out into the world and worship Him in practical ways that aren't just Sunday mornings in a room together, but practical ways that bring that joy and restoration to those around us. Because our God is good and He loves us and He is bringing about His purposes in the world whether we see it or not. So we rejoice and trust in Him.